Thank you for listening to CG Life with Steve Kortz. It's my hope that today's message will help you find and live the extraordinary life Jesus gives. After listening to this podcast, I'd like to invite you to connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram for more updates and resources. Unexpected from the Old Testament book of Micah. And this series in particular is looking at who God is and why who God is is not what we expected and how that is in the end a very good gift, a very good gift. So we're progressing through the book of Micah and uh, excited to do that together with our congregation at Sherwood Forest and also our congregation at Clemens. I want to welcome the folks at Sherwood Forest, welcome everyone who's visiting here at Clemens. Now, with our Bibles open, I want us to turn today to Micah chapter 3. We're going to be looking together at uh, the entire chapter on page 777. You will find Micah chapter 3 in the worship Bibles provided for you as you came into the Sherwood Forts campus, also the, the worship center there. Also, you'll find them available in the Clemens campus underneath your seat if you're in the tiered seating or on our front row and underneath the seat in front of you if you're seated elsewhere. Micah chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, pages 7 or page 777. Now, here's what we've seen so far, all right? First of all, we've seen in Micah chapter 1 how it is that God can be lost, can be found, and be restored again to our lives. God gets lost, we've said, when we neglect him and reject him as the God that he is, as the God that uh, reveals himself, and when we replace him with the God we want him instead to be. We've seen also from Micah chapter 1 that the lost God is found when he finds us and as we are, and he's restored when we receive his offer of himself as he is. He doesn't offer himself as we want him to be. He doesn't offer himself as we expect him to be. He offers himself to us as he is, and who he is is in the end what is best for us. We've looked at Micah chapter 2, and there we've learned uh, that there is a distinction about God, an unexpected distinction in that God is, is a being that balances perfectly love and justice. In fact, we said that because God does love all, he seeks justice for all. And that means then that God's love for us doesn't make our sin superficial or superfluous or, or inconsequential. But God's love for all of us makes our sin serious. God doesn't just love me and therefore uh, make little of my sin. God loves all of us and sin because it has an impact on me, a destructive impact, and a destructive impact on others. God is very concerned that uh, our sin be treated seriously because it does serious damage to us. Now, as we turn to Micah chapter 3, we find that Micah continues to speak to the sins of God's people and uh, the religion that they use to justify their sins. And uh, he addresses in Micah 3 specifically the leaders in Judah. Now, I want to warn you before I start reading, this is a very graphic passage. Um, so I'm looking for children. Uh, just cover their ears. I warned you. I don't know what this is rated, but it's probably mature audiences just because of violence. But all right, you were warned. Here we go. Got your interest, don't I? <laughs> Didn't know the Bible could be that way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hear, you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel. Is it not for you to know justice, you who hate the good and love the evil? who tear the skin from my, off my people and their flesh from off their bones, who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron. There you go. Did you make it? 
All right. Then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time because they have made their deeds evil. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who call or cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. Therefore it shall be night to you without vision and darkness to you without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets, and the day shall be black over them. The seers shall be disgraced, and the diviners put to shame. They shall cover their lips, for there is no answer from God. But as for me, Micah says, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might, to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its heads give judgment for a bribe, its priests teach for a price, its prophets practice divination for money, yet they lean on the Lord and they say, is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster will come on us. Therefore, he says, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins and the mountain of the house a wooded height. Micah has just finished delivering God's charges against those who use their wealth and their power and position to get more for themselves at the expense of others who have less and have no way to defend themselves. Those who use God's love for them as the reason to explain why their sin, and they know it's sin, but why their sin will have no real consequences. God, through Micah, holds the leadership of the nation accountable for failing to lead well. And this is important because in doing so, God underscores one of the most unexpected methods God uses to work in this world. Watch this. God does work when God works. He works through his spoken word. His spoken word has power. God works through direct divine intervention in human affairs and history. He works through physical and moral realities that he's built into his creation. But he also works through people for the good of people. God works through people for the good of people. And that is very unexpected. God seeks, his heart is, that his human creation bless others in human creation by the way that they live. One of the ways that God works is through people for the good of people. And today I want to speak to you about how God uses leaders in particular uh, to uh, do good for others and what he wants from them in a broken world. Now, as soon as I say that, I know there are some of you who say, well, I'm not a leader, so this message is not going to apply to me. I wish I had just stayed home. I wish I had gone to the lake. Why didn't I go to the, to the lake? Why am I here? This is a sermon for leaders. I don't need this. Well, let, let, me, let, me, uh, let me help you with that. That's not really true. There are four things that I know as, as we dive into Micah chapter 3, four things that I know about every person on all of our campuses today in every service. This is what I know. Every one of us, first of all, every one of us is following someone. Every one of us is probably following several someones who by virtue of their formal position or their personality has influence uh, in us and on us as we live our lives. We look to them for guidance. We look to them for direction, or they have a position of power and authority that actually causes our lives to be different because they are over us, over us. There's a second thing I know about you, and every person on all of our campuses, every one of us is leading someone. We're leading someone by virtue of our position or on the basis of our personality. We have some influence on others that uh, look to us, that watch us, that use us for a model. 
others that, that want uh, us to be pleased with their lives. We all have someone we're leading. There are teachers here and attorneys here and first responders here. Uh, there are uh, people who are business owners. There are managers in this room. There are best friends. There are mothers. There are fathers. There are grandfathers. There are grandmothers. There are all kinds of people who really and truly qualify as leaders. And you qualify for somebody in your life. Everybody here is living, leading someone. The third thing I know is that all of us need someone who leads us in ways that are good. And by good, what I mean is beneficial to life, morally worthy of life, necessary to life, and human flourishing. In other words, they help make our lives better and stronger and safer because, watch now, of the ways and the directions in which they lead us. And this is what every marriage needs. And this is what every child needs, and this is what every family needs, and this is what every school needs, and this is what every church needs, and this is what every community needs, and this is what every nation needs. Someone who leads us in ways that are good, beneficial, that produce for us a human flourishing, the capacity to flourish. The fourth thing I know is that whether we are leading or whether we're being led, we all need to know what good leadership is because we all need what good leadership does. It creates the tone. It sets the kind of directions by which we can thrive and be at peace. We all need to know what a good leader is because we need to be, to the best of our ability, choosing people to follow who will do us good. And we need to be the kind of people that can be followed and do others good. So we need to know this. So you're not really off the hook. And all those people who went to the lake this weekend, too bad for them. They don't get the live experience like you do, and there we go. All right. So today, 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 I want to speak to you about leadership, and I want to pose this question, and I want to answer it using God's Word. What kind of leaders does God use to bring good to those who follow? I want to ask the question, what kind of leaders does God use to bring good to those who follow? Now, Micah's rebuke of Judah's leadership here not only reveals the kind of leadership, watch now, that God condemns, but it also points us to the kind of leadership God commands, the kind of leadership that does us good the kind of leadership that we need. And from this passage, we can identify five qualities that God is looking for from every leader. Five qualities that we can look for, five qualities that we want to develop for those that we lead ourselves. Now, for those of you who are uh, anal retentive, obsessive, compulsive, I'm going to go through the five, but then we're going to come back to them. You won't get them right away. So if you're taking notes, it's going to be okay. All right. A delight, first of all, what he shows us in Micah 3 is that the leaders that God looks for and the leaders that God uses to bring good, first of all, have a delight in what is right. Secondly, have a willingness to sacrifice for others. Thirdly, are, have an ability to distinguish good from evil and not confuse the two. Fourthly, have a commitment to live in reality rather than fantasy. And finally, have a sense of responsibility for the results of their leadership. Five qualities that God looks for in a leader, five qualities that we need in the leaders that we follow. I want us to look at each of them today from God's Word, beginning with a delight in what is right, verses 1 to 2a. Micah says, and I said, hear, listen, you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice, you who hate the good and love the evil? Micah reminds Judah's political leaders of their responsibilities, and he describes how they failed in them. The government, especially its judiciary, is meant to know and practice justice and to guard it, to maintain standards of right and wrong, and thus guide people to do what is right and to reject what is wrong. 
And of course, the standards for right and wrong are God's standards, first established by him, Paul tells us, in our hearts. God has written his law in our hearts. Go from culture to culture to culture to culture, and you'll find that this is true. There is no culture that I'm aware of, for example, that, that says that uh, stealing is a good thing. We all know by nature that if you take something from me, that's wrong. If I take something from you, that's wrong. It, it's, it's universal. There are certain moral laws that are written into us. They are from God. God also has given us his laws for life in the Ten Commandments. And so all of Western civilization is actually, and its laws and legal system are actually rooted and grounded in the Ten Commandments and what I call God's good laws for life. Jesus summed them up, of course, saying that the, the sum of the, of the law of God, God's good laws for life, is that we should love God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength, and we should love our neighbors as ourselves. That was his, his summary. God's revealed to us what right is and what wrong is, captured as they are in our hearts, in the Ten Commandments, in His revealed Word. It's, back, it's against this backdrop, then, that Micah says that the courts in Judah, and this is important, have abandoned God's standards and have put in place an immoral set of standards. They've ceased making what was good the criterion for their verdicts instead. They hate the good, and they love the evil, and they have aided and abetted Criminal undertakings, allowing the corrupt business people of the day to swallow up the lands and the homes of the common people. Instead of guarding the welfare of the people and doing them good, they've betrayed the trust given to them. Why? They don't care about what is right. In fact, they hate it and they keep themselves at a distance from what is right. Evil, and in, 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 on the other hand, they love and consequently are so drawn to it that they stay close to it. And so they have no desire for justice. What they desire most is personal gain, not public good. What they desire most is personal gain, not public good. Have you been watching the, the story of the college admissions scandal? Have you seen that? You've been watching that? The defendants include all kinds of people who have places of leadership, actresses and sports coaches and executives and businessmen and attorneys, one of them, uh, one of the approximately 50 defendants is Gordon Kaplan, who is an attorney with a top 50 law firm. The mastermind behind it, William Singer, was caught uh, on, on the tape and was recorded talking to Kaplan. It's an interesting, interesting conversation when you, when you see the, uh, the transcript. It's very interesting because Singer says to Kaplan, who is a, an attorney, who is an officer of the court, who is one who is charged with maintaining justice and pursuing justice. He's talking to, uh, uh, Singer is talking to, to this Kaplan, and he says, now look, 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 here's how it works. We found a way for the wealthiest kids from the wealthiest families in America to get into the college of their choice. Now, there's a front door to college, and you have to earn your way into it. There's a back door to college, he said, and, and the back door is you've got to pay tens of millions of dollars. You've you got to give tens of millions of dollars to an institution. It's very costly in order to get in the back door. But he said, I've created a side door. And the side door was a door that was created with bribery, bribing proctors to correct tests and bribing coaches to create positions or open up positions for these wealthy uh, uh, people and their, and their children to get into school. But what was shocking to me was listening to Kaplan's answer. He, he says to Singer, he says, you know what? I don't really care about the morality of this. I don't care about the morality of this. I just want to be sure we don't get caught. I just want to be sure we don't get caught. And I just want to say that's Judah and Judah's leadership all over again. This is Judah and Judah's leadership all over again. Micah's question and charges apply. He says, is it, is it not for you to know justice, to know what is right and wrong and to press for what is right? You who hate the good and love the evil. Leaders who delight in evil. Listen now. 
bring evil to those they lead. Whether that leader is a father or a mother, a community leader or a judge or a politician, what a leader, watch this now, what a leader desires most determines many of the results that his or her followers actually experience. If a leader does evil out of a desire for evil, it will determine that the followers receive evil consequences directly or indirectly. What is destructive, death-inducing, life-threatening? Similarly, if a leader does good out of a desire for good, it will determine that followers receive good. And so this negative example sheds light on a very positive one. Leaders who bring what is good to others are those who first personally delight in good for others, in what is valuable, in what is life-giving, in what is protecting for others. They delight in what is right. They delight in what is right. And understanding God's law of sowing and reaping, leaders who want good, who like God uh, both love and practice judgment, uh, justice, uh, are sowing good into the lives of those they lead. Whenever you have someone in your life who is leading for your good ahead of their own, who is sowing good into your life, you've been given an extraordinary gift. I know they're not perfect. They will never be perfect. But if you have someone in your life who is leading you for your good, you have an extraordinary gift. And let me add to that. If you, in your leadership relationships, are sowing good into the lives of those who follow you, you are making yourself a good gift to them. You are doing them much good when out of your desire for good, you sow good into their lives, you make yourself a wonderful gift. Life is always better when someone who delights in what is right is leading. I want you to see the next quality of the leaders that God uses, and they are leaders who have a willingness to sacrifice for others. In verses 2b to 4. All right, here we go. This is that graphic, graphic section. Do I need to read it again? You who tear the skin off from my people and their flesh um, from off their bones? Probably not. You, you heard it. Micah first speaks to the political leadership in Jerusalem here, and he describes them. And using this gruesome metaphor, Micah first portrays those leaders as cannibals who bring distress to their people and use those people for food. Eating people and eating their flesh was a common expression for oppression in Micah's day. And so these judges, in collusion with the wealthy, allow the poor to be skinned of their homes and lands and money so that the, the fortunes of those who are already rich might swell and the fortunes of the judges themselves might grow. Because of this betrayal, Micah announces that God will abandon these cannibalistic leaders in their own coming time of distress. In verse 4, do you see it? A day of reckoning is coming. And just as these judges heard and ignored the cries and the pleas of the poor and the widow for justice, there is coming a day when they will find themselves under distress and they will cry out to God for justice. And he says, I will not hear you. I will ignore you just as you ignored the cries of the poor and the widow and the orphan. I will hide, do you see it? I will hide my face from you. I'm going to make myself unavailable. I'm going to leave you to your enemies. Why? Micah says it is because they've made their deeds evil. 
The essence of this evil, and I want you to see it, the heart of it is well described here. These leaders choose to put their own preferences and their own desires, their own profit, their own progress above those that they were called to lead. And instead of leading the people into what is good, they use the people to satisfy their own lusts and hungers and ambitions. This is so very different from the leaders that God chooses and uses to bring good to families and cities and nations and churches. Leaders who bring good to others are willing not to sacrifice them, but to sacrifice themselves for the good of others. They pour themselves out for those they serve. The Apostle Paul saw himself that way. He said, I'm, pour, I'm being poured out like an offering, like a sacrifice on the altar of your faith. I, I'm giving all that I have so that you might be in Christ all that you can be under him. It's always the mark of a, of a leader who does good. Leaders who do the most good are willing to sacrifice themselves in order to make sure that what is truly good is made available to those who follow them. They know that people aren't instruments to be used to accomplish their dreams. They're not instruments to be used to advance their own well-being. They believe their own lives are to be used to help others find and experience what God says is good and what leads to human flourishing. When that doesn't happen... The consequences are serious. How do you see the people who are under your leadership and your care? You know, I've known parents, I've known dads that, that treated their sons like instruments and, and they got a lot of ego out of their son's participation in sports and pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed. Mothers who did the same with their daughters, whether it be sports or beauty pageants or whatever. I've seen this happen in business where people are ground down. I've talked to people out in this lobby where the owners of their companies literally work them in the ground. And they can barely, barely make it because they're just exhausted. All because someone's looking at them like a tool to be used up rather than a person to be raised up and helped. Listen, listen, listen. Whenever you have someone in your life that is sacrificing themselves for your good ahead of your own, you have a great gift. You have a great gift. No doubt you, you had parents who weren't perfect. No doubt. But if you had parents who sacrificed for you, who gave up things for you so that you might have the good, you are very, very blessed. My mother is here. Thank you, Mom. You sacrificed for me. And I'm very blessed because of you. See, and it's not even Mother's Day. When you pour yourself out for others, sometimes we wonder, is it worth it? Sometimes we wonder if all of this self-sacrifice is worth it. And of course, no parents ever wonder that. Parent, we know our kids are so amazing, they're worth every, every ounce and sweat of blood and tears, and they're just all worth it, right? We, we know this. One out of every 10 days. We, we know this. <laughs> but if you ever wonder, look, 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 in the economy of God, God honors and blesses those who pour themselves out for the good of others as He defines good. You've got a high calling and a great mission if you're a father, a mother, a husband, a wife, a teacher a first responder, a police officer. You, you've got a high calling. Whatever leadership you have and whatever influence you have, you can use it for yourself or you can use it for others. 
those who use themselves, their lives for the good of others, they're the ones who make life rich. They're the ones who are willing to sacrifice. The next quality of the leader that God uses involves an ability to distinguish good from evil. Look at verses 5 to 8. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. Now watch. Micah goes from the politicians. Now he's going to the religious leaders. And he says the, the politicians aren't the only ones who can fail God and the people they lead. Religious leaders can fail God and the people they lead. Religious leaders here are referred to as prophets and seers and diviners. You'll see that here in this passage, verse 7 in particular. Prophets, of course, refers to Micah's own colleagues, persons who have been called of God to bear his message to his people on his behalf. These prophets, Micah is saying, have lost their original purpose of being God's spokesman, of directing God's people to see and to hear God's word as he speaks it about who he is and about where they are and about where their nation is and their culture is. Instead, these religious leaders have misled the people by adjusting God's words to make them more acceptable. Now, prophets in Micah's day were, were, were paid by the people they ministered to. Jesus said a workman's worthy of his hire. It has always been that way. It, it, it will always be that way. The difference was that prophets were to labor for the Lord regardless of they, whether they got paid or not and regardless of how much they made. That was God's plan. Those who live by the gospel, the New Testament says, should, should, those who, who work in the gospel should live by the gospel. So there's nothing wrong with that. But the problem was that the prophets in Micah's day only had good words for those who paid them well and condemnation for those who didn't. So if you were wealthy and you went to the prophet, you got a really good word. You see it there? You got peace, peace, shalom. It's all good for you. You're fine. You're good. And if you were poor, you didn't have anything to give. Do you notice what, what, uh, what Micah says? He says, they cry peace when they have something to eat, when they're well paid, but they declare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. For the rich, there was always a, a good word from God. For the poor, there was never a good word from God ever because they couldn't pay for it. There's always, always, always a temptation in leadership to confuse good with evil and evil with good, to, to call evil good if it protects me, if it advances me, it's got to be good. There's always that danger. There's always that danger to confuse good with evil. I'll never forget years ago, I was pastor in Charleston, South Carolina, and I pastored the Citadel Square Baptist Church, which is right next door to Mother Emanuel AME Church, where those nine people lost their lives in that attack in 2015. We were right next door. And back in those days, uh, the church was very traditional, and uh, the deacons always met with me in my study before we came out. We all marched out in a line. You know, look how far I've come. We all marched out in a line, and we all stood up on the front row, and everybody sat, and I sat on a big throne, <laughs> big old throne up on the platform, and me and the worship leader on big, big old thrones, and uh, uh, big old pipe organ. I, anyway, I'm, I'm wasting time. It was something. And uh, I'll never forget, one, one day, we had life deacons. Now, life deacons were different from regular deacons because a life deacon could live like the devil and still be a deacon. That was kind of the way it worked. I'm convinced that when Wake Forest was a Baptist school, they named their mascot the Demon Deacons after life deacons. I'm absolutely convinced of that. That's the way it worked. That's why they did it. And they were absolutely right. So I had a demon deacon, I mean a life deacon. Just before service, he came to me and he said, now, Pastor... Pastor, I said, yes, sir. I understand there's a, a black man that's wanting to join our church. And I said, I believe so. Watch this. It was 1994, and uh, no black person had been a member of that church since 1865, and all those prior to that had been slaves. 
we had a balcony on the top that was reserved for slaves and on the bottom for everyone else. And he said, I said, yes. And he said to me, you know, Pastor, it would be a terrible thing if we had to stop paying your salary because people stopped giving. I thought I was in a movie. So I looked at him, that demon deacon. I, I graduated from Wake Forest, by the way, so I am one, but I'm a nice, nice, I'm a nice demon deacon. But I looked at him and I said, you know what? You do what you need to. God's going to provide for me. He joined the church. He later became a deacon after we got rid of the demon deacons. Now, I had a choice between good and evil. He was threatening my livelihood. He was threatening my family. But I had to make a choice. Now, I'm not a, I'm not a hero, but I am a follower of Jesus, saved by grace, saved by a God who loves all regardless of their ethnicity, and he loved me regardless of my sin. So I... I knew where I had to land if I was going to be a follower of Jesus. And, you know, come what may, it comes. Whatever it comes, it comes. But I would rather be found by him doing, as a leader, found by him doing what is right and sowing good into the life of my congregation than sowing any more evil, which is what... I would have done had I responded differently. That is, what had happened in Judah, they could not tell good from evil because they equated what was evil as being good, particularly if it advanced to their own cause or their own situation. So Micah says the judgment of God is coming on those leaders as well. And having abused their prophetic gifts and calling, God would see to it that they couldn't see him anymore, couldn't hear from him anymore. And having confused God's words with their own words, they will now find themselves living in confusion without him. And their ministries would become dry and common and lifeless instead of life-giving and immediate and fresh. Their words would become hollow spiritual words issuing out of hollow spiritual lives and they would be disgraced. Seers who couldn't see and prophets who couldn't prophesy. The very ones who should have spoken up and spoken out at the injustice of the political system are charged with being blinded by the politicians and business persons who are oppressing the common person. And instead of fighting for the common people, the religious leaders joined others in evil, calling it good, and using and abusing the people they were called to serve. Listen, whenever a leader compromises on the good sooner or later, that leader will not be able to tell the difference between what is good and what is evil. A compromise on the good is always an invitation to evil and its consequences. But if a leader refuses to compromise the good, he or she actually becomes more and more sensitive to the presence and the problems of evil and is able to steer others from it early. And that's why Micah says what he says about himself. Look in verse 8. He gives himself as, as an example and he says, but as for me, I, I, I am filled with power. Why? Because I'm depending upon myself. No, because I, I'm filled with the spirit of the Lord and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. I'm able to speak the truth to Judah about his transgression and sin because I've stayed close to the source of the good, the spirit of the Lord himself. I'm able to keep clear on what justice is and what it should be when others around me can't. 
The refusal to compromise on evil is one of the best protections for the people that we lead. We're not blindsided by it. Listen, chances are good they won't be either. And so out of this negative example, there sheds light on yet another positive one. Leaders who bring what is good to others are skilled at distinguishing good from evil because they refuse to compromise on God's standards for what is good and best for human life and flourishing. Sometimes for leaders, compromising on what is right for the sake of peace and to avoid conflict seems to be the wisest course of action especially if the compromise is small. But the reality is this. Every single time a leader compromises on what God says should always be or should never be, that leader simply makes greater compromise easier later. And the pain for those who follow is always greater and growing when good is compromised and evil advanced. I can only imagine what our church would have been like in Charleston if I had given in. Hatred would just multiply. Love for justice in leaders keeps compromise away out of a love for those who follow and out of a desire to see right done for all. The leaders God uses, the leaders who bring good, are able to distinguish good from evil and not confuse the two. The leaders who do good have a commitment to live in reality. Look at verses 9 to 11. Here, you heads of the house of Jacob and you rulers of the house of Israel who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet, 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 they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Micah now speaks to all the leaders, business leaders, political leaders, spiritual leaders. He shows that what they have in common are these things. They have a love of money. They have a love of self. They have a presumption that the way they're leading is the way that leadership is to be used. The way they're living is the way that life is supposed to be lived. It's dog eat dog, it's get what you can. They also share a failure to see all of the facts. Something captured, look at verse 11. They lean on the Lord and they say, "Is, is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Despite the fact that they know what they're doing is wrong, they do it anyway, thinking, watch now, that they can get away with it. Why? Because they're leaning on the Lord. They're living with his affirmation, they believe. They think that the Lord is in their midst because of his promises to to Moses to make them his people as they made him their God. They thought they would always be his people. They thought the Lord was in their midst because of the way they had remade him to be a God of just love and no justice. Consequently, they weren't living in reality. They were living in a fantasy. Look at verse 11. No, di- no disaster, they said, it will come upon us. But as God showed Moses and his generation and every generation since, God sees to it in this world. The fooling with sin always makes fools of us in the end. And the playing with sin always requires paying a price. These are laws that they cannot be avoided You fool with sin, sin will make a fool of you. Now, I asked the first service how many fools we had. All right, let's do it. Let's start here. How many sinners do we have this morning? Okay, now I'm scanning. I'm scanning. I'm missing some sinners. There we go. Okay. Now, how many fools do we have this morning? If you have a hard time with this, this is not the church for you. <laughs> I'm just telling you, this is, not, this is not the church for you. You need a church where they pat you on the head and tell you you're fine. Um, that is not our church. I do love you, though. But you are a bunch of sinners. And your pastor is, is, is a sinner. The 
Fooling with sin always makes fools of us in the end, and playing with sin always requires paying a price every single time because this is the way God works in the world. And we should never think that we will be exempt like these leaders living in a fantasy anchored in a view of God that isn't true to the facts. Leaders who bring good to others always seek God's moral reality and avoid moral fantasy. Leaders who do others good insist on seeing and showing the ways God says life should be lived to those who are responsible, to those they're responsible for. These leaders know that by God's design, reality is always our friend, even if it hurts us. Reality is always, is always, is always, is always, yea, and I say again, reality is always our friend. But living in a fantasy, living as if things are one way when they aren't, will not only hurt us and hurt others, it will always harm us and harm others, which leads us to the final great quality of the leaders that God is looking for, and that is a sense, those who have a sense of responsibility for results. Therefore, verse 12, because of you, Zion, a place name often used as a synonym for the hill on which Jerusalem, Judah's political and spiritual capital, sat, Zion will become a field to be plowed and used for farmland. The beautiful city of Jerusalem with all of its homes and beautiful public buildings and its great temple of the Lord will become a pile of rubble and the entire thing will become a wooded height, will be left to nature. All of this, leaders, because of you. Micah shows that this personal sin or that personal sin in leaders especially has corporate consequences because what leaders sow, everyone else reaps regardless of whether everyone deserves what the leader has sown. How I wish mothers and fathers would understand this. Your children reap what you sow. You reap good, they're going to reap good. You reap evil, they will reap evil. How I wish husbands and wives understood this. You sow evil into your life, it will impact your spouse. It will impact your marriage. There is no getting around it. How I wish business owners understood this and teachers understood this. How I wish grandparents understood this. What leaders sow, their followers reap. You say that isn't fair. Well, let's not worry about the fair. It comes in October. <laughs> That's what's real. And you've got to live in reality. And understand that wherever you are a leader, you have a responsibility. And the good leaders understand that what they sow, their followers reap. You know what uh, Mike is really saying in verse 12? He's saying that whenever leaders fail, followers fall with them. Whenever leaders fail, followers fall with them. Whenever a parent fails, their children fall with them. Whenever a business leader fails, their business falls with them. And when the leaders of a family, a city, a nation persistently trample God's laws for life, the innocent suffer along with the guilty. And this is sobering because it shows how significant leadership is for those who are led. When leaders fail to take the responsibilities or the results of their leadership seriously, everyone suffers. But when a leader counts the cost and takes the results seriously, they produce incredible benefits. brings us to our question that we originally asked. What kind of leaders does God use to bring good 
to those who follow. The end of the day, the kind of leaders God uses to bring good to those who follow are the leaders who follow Him before they try to lead others. The ultimate charge against the leaders of Judah was that they did not follow God. And because they refused to follow, they failed in their leadership. Listen, the best leaders are always first the best followers. The greatest gift that I can give you as your pastor is to get up every morning, open up my Bible, and spend time on my knees following Jesus. That's my greatest gift. If I, if I just prepared sermons and never spent time with the master, my words would be hollow. There would be no life to them. I would be carrying on a charade. The greatest gift that a father can give to a child, that a mother can give to a child, that a husband can give to a wife, or that a wife can give to a husband is to follow Jesus because it is at the feet of Jesus that we learn how to balance love and justice. It's at the feet of Jesus that we learn how to lead. There, there was no leader. There's never been a leader like Jesus. Think about it with me just for a moment. Jesus was the greatest leader who ever lived because he delighted in what was right. He delighted in what his father said was right, and he refused himself to do wrong. He was willing on the cross to, to sacrifice himself for you and for me, for our good and our benefit. He kept his ability to distinguish good from evil and refused to give in to it even when he was under the fiercest of temptations. He lived committed to embrace the reality of your sin and my sin as serious and God's holiness as serious all at the same time. He cried out and he said, Lord, let this cup pass from me. Father, let this cup pass from me. But if not, not your will, but Thine be done. Why did he do that? Because he understood the seriousness and the significance of our sin and God's holiness. He had a profound sense of responsibility. As he made his way to the cross. There are a lot of people you can follow. A lot of people you have to follow. There are a lot of people who follow you. But of all the people you could follow, and of all the people that the folks who follow you could follow, there is no one like Jesus. He will not fail those who follow him. You want to lead well? Learn to follow before you try to lead somebody else. Some of you will get a new marriage out of that with the same person. <laughs> yeah, don't be coming up here after the service saying, I want to trade my husband in. No, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> Some of you get a new marriage. Some of you get a new future. If today you made the decision that you would follow the leader of leaders, Jesus. Would you stand to your feet all across the room? Father, I, I thank you, I bless you for your word, for its truth. 
Lord, as we see human history, as we look at it closely, what we find is the story of failed human leadership again and again and again, and of pain and suffering caused by the failure of leadership to lead and to lead well. From the very beginning, with the leadership of Eve and Adam, to this very day, we watch human leaders fail us and not just hurt us, but harm us. And we realize that unless a true leader intervenes, we are doomed and we have no hope. But Father God, how grateful we are to know that in your Son, a true leader has come who leads not for his benefit but for ours, who is faithful and true from beginning to end. How we thank you, Father God, for his willingness to come and be where we are, to live a life without sin, without compromise, without evil. How thankful we are that he was able in our place to die on the cross to receive our punishment, the wages of our sin on himself, so that by faith our sin and its punishment might be given to him and his sinlessness and righteousness might be given to us. How thankful we are for his resurrection, for the proof that he lives and that he has life, real life, good life to give. We pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So as you look at your life today, I'm wondering who you're really following. Who your ultimate leader is. I know who your president is. I know who, who your Congress is. I know who your governor is. I, I know all that. I know all that. But, I, but I'm asking ultimately, who's your leader? And can you say with all honesty and sincerity that your true leader, the one who guides and directs your life, is the perfect leader, Jesus? Can you honestly say that? then as I live out my life and live out in my relationships, Jesus Christ is my leader. Not just in name, but in reality. Some of you, like a dear friend in the first service, gave your life to him, but at some point you took it back. And you've been following another leader. And that leader has failed you, or that leader is failing you. And things aren't working out very well for you because you've put all your faith and your trust in someone who cannot deliver. Jesus never said following him would be easy, but he did say following him would be good. Maybe for some of you today, it's time for you to come back before you try to lead another day someone else, before you take another step following someone else, that today is the day you need to come back to Jesus and say to him, lead me. My heart is open. Lead me. I give up my leadership. I give my life afresh to you. Some in this room have never said that in a minute. You've lived all your life leading yourself or being led by someone else, and all you've known is failure. Any goodness that you've known has been fleeting. It's been here and then gone. You've wondered, if, was there ever any real goodness to be found? And the answer is yes. It's found in the leadership of Jesus. 
And if today you will come confessing your sin, just acknowledging your sin, you don't need to tell me your sin, but acknowledging your sin to God, that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, if today you would come and simply give him your life and your past, all your failures and all your mistakes, just give them to him. He'll take them just as they are. Cast them. As Micah says later in chapter 7, into the deepest part of the sea. They are so that they are no more. I invite you to come. I invite our prayer partners to come and take their places this morning. And we're going to come into a time of response. And my prayer is that you will open up your heart to hear from God this morning about who or what is really leading you and give you eyes to see those who are following you as you live your life. Come back. Or come for the first time to Jesus. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoy these podcasts, take a moment to rate and review CG Life with Steve Kors. My prayer is that God will continue to inspire and challenge you in Christ as week by week we apply the gospel faith to real life.